and welcome to this week's edition of the Lineout. First of all, apologies that uh, I haven't been uh, putting too much stuff out lately, but uh, like I've said before, under a fair bit of uh, pressure under the day job with the day job right now. So uh, yeah, productivity on this side of things is uh, is limited. But um, like I said, um, the five-part series I'm doing on uh, having a look at uh, the top 10 teams in the autumn recently concluded autumn nation series. Uh, I'm going to wrap that up in the next week. So this week, I'm just going to do this one on uh, Scotland and Wales. And then next week I'll finish up the final two episodes on England and South Africa and Ireland and France. So yeah, thanks everyone's patience and uh, normal service will uh, resume in the new year. But anyway, on to the here and now. So like I say, this is uh, the third part in a five-part series looking at um, how the uh, top 10 uh, rugby nations fared in this this recent uh, Autumn Nations series in November. And it was a great series. Um, There was just some truly spectacular rugby on display. And uh, I'm still watching some of the highlights and enjoying it just as much. It It was a great month. So starting off, looking at Wales and Wayne, coach Wayne Pivak, can he feel pleased with his uh, his efforts in November and, the, and that of his charges, or or is it a mixed bag? I would probably say it's a mixed bag. Um, like I said on the blog, I'm not I'm not talking about the game against New Zealand. Um, which fell outside the November test window and saw a completely understrength uh, Welsh side take on, for all intents and purposes, a full-strength New Zealand side. And it didn't really tell us anything about either side. Uh, you know, Wales were, were basically playing with one hand tied behind their back. And yeah, New Zealand looked fabulous, but uh, against weak, weak opposition. Um, and as we saw, as November unfolded, New Zealand began to steadily implode against higher quality opposition. So like I say, not that I'm saying that Wales are not high quality opposition, but the team that they were able to field for that New Zealand test was was certainly not uh, their first choice team by a long stretch. Having said that, going into the rest of November, um, I think you have to take Wales's performance in context. Uh, injury has not been kind to uh, Coach Wayne Pivak and his charges. So to a certain degree, uh, Wales were, you know, they they were up against some serious constraints right from the get-go. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, they won two, lost one. Um, that's pretty good going. And, you know, they face some top quality opposition, uh, Australia and South Africa, you know, uh, on form, um, and Fiji, you know, always and increasingly a thorny and difficult side to play against. So yeah, when you look at that, uh, one, two, uh, lost one, that's, that's a pretty good track record. So like I say, given the fact that we're not talking about the New Zealand test, which I feel is kind of irrelevant, their first proper test last month was against South Africa. Uh, COVID dictated that the roof had to be open, and unfortunately, the weather was atrocious. Uh, but 
full credit to both teams. You know, I think they put in a solid effort and uh, they provided us a genuine proper test match. Um, that was a real arm wrestle and it was an entertaining game. Um, was it the best game of the month? No, not by a long stretch. Um, and was it the best game that those two sides could produce? No, I don't think so. I think first of all, um, you know, discipline was a problem for both sides. Far too many penalties got given away. So it became very much a game of, of fine margins and, and, and scoring your points through the boot. Um, which doesn't always make uh, on paper for a great spectacle, but it was a real arm wrestle, uh, intensely physical from both sides. Um, and, you know, I, all credit to Wales. I think, you know, if, if anything they can take out of that game, they held their own against a very, very physical South African side. Um, and also one that uh, increasingly likes to, to, to run the ball. So, you know, I thought defensively Wales were strong. I thought um, they matched they matched South Africa up front physically. Uh, perhaps not so much in the scrums, but uh, elsewhere across the park, I thought they did. Um, and yeah, I, I thought they they put in a good effort. So, um, and ultimately, it was a very close game. Uh, you know, the bomb squad came on in the second half for South Africa and powered through to get the match winning try but um yeah you know it was 23 18 it wasn't a whipping uh it was down to the wire right until the final whistle um so yeah i i think uh i think overall despite the loss uh given some of the difficulties wales were were working with i think they can feel pretty pleased with that result uh next up you know they had to take on uh, they had to take on Fiji, and that was a tough game for them. Um, you know Fiji came to play, uh, and you know Fiji are always an entertaining uh, entertaining side to watch. And I think, uh, but you know, given the fact that they're not uh, they're not in the top ten um, of of heavyweights. Uh, Pivac decided to go a little bit more experimental on his side. Some of his more younger players got a shot, which was great because Fiji are a challenging team and no better team to test some of your younger guys against. And it was interesting. Fiji uh, Fiji had the measure of Wales and were actually, for, for large chunks of that first, half, first hour of that game, uh, I thought they were the better side much more inventive and uh yeah really making it stick they were you know wales was really struggling to get to grips with with uh fiji um you know and, and i think if I, I never like to highlight the importance of a red card but if fiji hadn't got that red card um who knows? But I think the one thing you did see uh, was Fiji did start to tire in the last quarter, especially now having had to play with with fourteen men for uh, from you know the, the end of the first quarter onwards. So that was pretty critical. 
Um, but I think also all credit to Wales. They they were clearly rattled by Fiji because again, this this fourteen man Fijian side had them on the ropes. But you know, in the second half, they kind of focused themselves, kept their nerve, kept their composure, and ultimately pulled away pulled away from Fiji. Um, I just feel you know the game that the Wales played in the last quarter is the game they should have played in the first three quarters, and then. It, it might have been a very different scoreline. But ultimately, in the end, good win for, for Wales, 38-23. And that set them up for their penultimate match with Australia. Um, a tough game. You know, Australia, for all intents and purposes, um, had been on form uh, until they arrived in Europe. But, you know, the... The one issue that Australia seems to have right now is they're not a particularly good touring team. That seemed to come in play, come into play. You know, they they lost to uh, they lost to Scotland, they lost to uh, England, and uh, yeah, ultimately they lost to Wales. But it was tight, um, really tight. And once again, you know, Wales were playing a fourteen man Australian side for for much of the match. Uh, so yeah, and and you know it was a thrilling test match. I mean, the the score changed hands continuously. Um, it's and then you know Wales looked dominant uh, for the first quarter and you know for about the first half hour, and then you know when it all kind of seemed done and dusted, especially come the start of the second half, Australia got right back into it and took the ascendancy. So. Um, I think in that sense, it was it was great credit to to Wales and Pivac can feel really pleased with the fact that, you know, again, Wales held their nerve uh, and that sort of red onslaught in the Australian 22 in the, in the last minute of the game. You know, they, they knew that Australia were a man down. They knew that discipline is a problem for Australia. They knew they could they could eke out a penalty. And that's what they did. Uh, but yeah, not not an easy win, and uh, you know it it was up in the air until very much the end. And it's twenty nine twenty eight. It's a one point win, but a win's a win. So you know, a good win against Fiji ultimately, uh, despite a struggle at the beginning, and then a win against Australia, which really tested this Welsh side's resolve. So I think in that sense. Although, you know, Wales didn't sort of, they didn't blow any of their opponents uh, out of the water. They held their, they held their own in, in tough, tight test matches. So I think if you look back on November uh, and heading into the Six Nations, when they'll have a few players back from injury um, and, you know, some of their younger players really uh, stood out, I think it's good. It, it looks it looks good for for Wales. Um, you know, they've got, uh, I wouldn't say the best draw for the six nations. Um, they do have France at home, but they've got to travel away to Twickenham and Dublin. Um, and let's face it, going into the six nations, it's England, Ireland, and then France who are the foreign team. So at least they've got, you know, uh, one of those teams at home, but yeah, tough trips to Dublin and, and, and Twickenham. Um, so yeah, and then thereafter, 
they're off to South Africa for a three test series in the summer. So I think, you know, 2022 is going to be a great year of building for the World Cup. And there's lots to there's lots to work with for uh, for Wales. Um, you know, they, they they they're looking they're looking like a work in progress, but um, I think it, it all looks good. I think the biggest concern for them is that on attack, despite some real real talent, um, they're nowhere near England, Scotland, Ireland, or France in turning those attacks into points on the boards, on the board. Uh, you know, they're they're defensively. I think Wales continue to be very very sound, um, but yeah, that attack just isn't finishing off and translating into points, and that's what they need to work out. Uh, work on head of the six nations i think they got problems in the front row uh i think their front row is weak and that's going to be a problem for them come the six nations i thought uh the new hooker ryan elias um his line out throwing needs needs some real work um but you know by the same token uh he's also pretty good again across the whitewash but yeah i just felt that whole front row kind of creaked uh, and it's 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 a liability for Wales right now. I think in the second row they're competitive. I thought you know Adam Baird is Adam Beard has really come into his own. Um, you know Will Rollins I think was respectable. You got Alan Wynne Jones coming back into the mix for the Six Nations hopefully. So yeah, I think you know they they, they can feel comfortable there. I think the back row is very exciting for Wales. I mean Ellis Jenkins, wow. I had some serious concerns about him. Uh, you know, he hadn't played for three years. The last time he played uh, a test match was against South Africa, and he was stretched off. Uh, and many people thought he'd never come back to play rugby. So I thought that was a huge gamble uh, for such a physical test match. But man, did he ever stand up and get counted? He played. He was for me Wales' best player by by a country mile in November. Uh, and I think most likely the evident successor to Alan Wynne Jones as the captain. But yeah, you know, you had him. I thought new newcomer Tane Balsham was was outstanding. I know I thought Aaron Wainwright had a had a pretty good go of it. And then you know you got guys like Justin Tipperick coming back into the mix for the Six Nations. So I think you know in the back row, I think Wales can feel uh, in you know pretty 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 comfortable. Um. I think at, at in the halfback pairings, uh, you know, I think Thomas Williams at scrum half and Dan Biggers the way forward. Um, you know, Gareth Anscombe once he gets some more game time under his belt, uh, can also uh, apply himself to the fly half role. Um, as can uh, Callum Sheedy and Kieran Hardy. I think you know also as well in scrum half. So I think they've got plenty of depth there. Certainly their starting combination, I would say, is, is Williams and Bigger. Um, I think the back line looks really strong. I thought Josh Adams, Louis Rees-Zamet uh, out on the wings are just solid. I don't think they got as much ball as they would have liked to. And, you know, they they, they didn't get used as well as they, they could have been to, to get points on the board for Wales. But, uh, you know, I think both of them are defensively strong. Uh, Zamet in particular seems to be improving in that area. 
Uh, I thought Johnny McNichol looked promising at fullback, but obviously, you know, Liam Williams showed his pedigree um, in the final two matches. So again, I don't think too much problem there. Where I do see a problem for Wales is in the center channels. Uh, I thought Nick Tompkins was good on attack, but weak in defense. Um, yeah, I, and I think Jonathan Davies, sadly, is well past his sell-by date. Um, yeah, I'm not quite sure Wales have really kind of figured out how to how to make that that center channel work for them. But yeah, you know, I think overall there's lots to work with, and uh, they can look forward to the next Six Nations, hoping for you know a good strong mid-table finish. Next up, Scotland. One, two, lost one as well. Um, Scotland. Sorry about that. Scotland, I, I thought, uh, yeah, a mixed bag for them. I thought huge amount of talent in the team, but I still think there's there's core components of their game. They're just not executing very well. And going into what's going to be a very competitive Six Nations, they need to get on top of that and get on top of it quickly. Um. Like I say, I'm not talking about Wales' uh, Scotland's clash with Tonga, a bit like the, you know, that was outside the November test window, and it was against, you know, a poor old cobbled together Tongan team. It, it, it was irrelevant, sadly. But, um, yeah, you know, I think if Scotland can work on, on the points we're going to talk about now, uh, they should feel fairly confident about the Six Nations. You know, they've got two of the heavyweights at home, England and France. Uh, they've got to travel to Dublin to face Ireland, but... You know, having England and France at home is a big advantage. And, uh, you know, let's face it, that Murrayfield crowd is uh, is certainly a motivator. So looking at how they, uh, they started their campaign in November, uh, low scoring, kind of score changing hands every five minutes type of deal almost with, with Australia. Uh, a good game uh, from both teams. Uh, a revelation for Scotland in, in Hooker, Ewan Ashman. Uh, shame for Canada. A uh, guy was born in Toronto, but uh, yeah, imagine what it, he was playing for us. That would be a very different story. But yeah, what a, what a revelation for him. Uh, his opening, you know, his debut came on after 11 minutes uh, as George Turner was, was injured and uh, stole the show. I mean, that try he scored, uh, that was a a full-on aerial winger try as opposed to a hooker try. Uh, just spectacular. I thought his line-out throwing was great. Uh, I just, you know, he was hands down Scotland's best line-out thrower during November. So, yeah, hugely exciting for him and hugely exciting for Scotland. Um, but, yeah, it was a real arm wrestle with Australia, uh, and it could have gone either way. But, uh, you know, a bit like Wales, you know, Scotland doggedly kind of stuck to, to the task at hand. Um, I don't think they have the composure that Wales has, but, uh, you know, they, they stuck to it. They got the better of an Australian side who I think was starting to experience a bit of self-doubt. Um, so yeah, but, uh, and I think Scotland, you know, were in that game particularly, uh, not so much for the rest of the month, but in that game particularly, their execution was just that bit more precise when it needed to be, whereas Australia's wasn't. Um, so yeah, a game of fine margins, but, but Scotland did what, what was required of them and got the job done. Next up, uh, the Springboks, uh, 
and that was always going to be a tough ask. Uh, you know, the, the box came, arrived in Murrayfield feeling pretty confident after two good outings against New Zealand, a win over Wales. And yeah, they, they came to play. And I think everybody was a little bit concerned as to how Scotland were going to match up physically. And it didn't go very well, really. Uh, in short, they, they didn't really match up physically. Um, South Africa definitely got the better of them. Um, and, uh, yeah, physically, I didn't really think it, it was it was much of a contest. Um, so, yeah, uh, a tough one there. Uh, you know, they got they got completely dominated at scrum time. Uh, their lineouts weren't effective. Uh, it was only when Ashman came on towards the end of the game that 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 those statistics started to improve. Um, you know, they held their own in the rucks and, you know, I thought their tackle count, I mean, they were required to put in a huge number of tackles, but, you know, they held their own there as well. They, they were fairly successful in that department, but uh, yeah, they, they were ultimately outclassed by South Africa. And if they're going to, if they're going to go head to head with England, France or Ireland, uh, come February, then they, they've got a lot of areas in that respect of their game that they need to, to tighten up and kind of up their game dramatically. And then their last game against Japan. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, I know you can say, oh, well, you know, Ireland blitzed Japan at, at the beginning of the month, 65. But the Japanese side that turned up uh, in Murrayfield at the end of the month was not the same side that turned up in Dublin. It was very much the side that turned up in in Dublin um, in uh, in the summer to play uh, Ireland, and also the same side that that turned up in Murray, Murrayfield to, to to play the Lions. Uh, it was a much, in short, it was a much better Japanese side. Um, I think we were all kind of puzzled by how poor Japan was against Ireland um, at the beginning of the month, but uh, not so. Uh, not so against Scotland. Uh, that was a proper Japanese effort. Um, and Scotland found themselves with a, a proper test match on, on their hands. Um, it was a great, it was a great game to watch. You know, you got two sides who perhaps with the exception of Fiji love to, to run the ball more than any other team, uh, in test rugby right now. And, and obviously I think you'd probably have to throw France in there as well. Um, but you know, Japan were in it right until the last 15 minutes. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the one thing that Scotland has that Wales don't have is, you know, Scotland can turn those searing line breaks, those amazing, you know, counterattacks from deep into points on the board, you know, Wales get to sort of the opposition 22 and then it kind of fluffs out. Um, where Scotland can turn those into points, and that's going to put them in very good stead come come the Six Nations. Um, you know, with guys like Duan van der Merver, uh, Stuart Hogg, Darcy Graham, all you know, just showing uh, showing how fleet of foot Scotland can be. Um, and against you know equally creative sides like France uh, next year in the Six Nations, you know that kind of skill set is is going to be key. Um, but yeah, heading into the Six Nations, uh, so Scotland basically going to the Six Nations next year, and then they uh, embark on a three-tour series, uh, three-test series to uh, to Argentina. Um, 
but yeah, I, I think, you know, between now and the Six Nations, uh, Gregor Townsend has to sit down and look at some statistics and figure out how to fix them because they don't look good. Um, you know, his his team in the, in the scrums and at line-out time are really battling. You know, a 59% success rate at scrum time, uh, if you look at uh, the average over November, that's unacceptable at this level. Uh, and the lineouts weren't much better at 82%. Um, you know, maybe you and Ashman's your, your starter. Who knows? Because he had the best stats of, of any of the, the hookers at, at lineout. Uh, goal kicking was also a bit of a disaster. Uh, only a 62% success rate. And, you know, in a tournament like the Six Nations, a good goal kicking success rate is critical. Um, so, yeah. And, you know, despite them, you know, despite them being not too bad on defense, you know, their, their, their tackle count success rate needs to be up to bit. It, it only averaged about 82% over November. So, yeah, you know, you're, there's lots of areas for improvement for, for Scotland. You know, there are, I love watching Scotland. They're an absolute joy to watch uh, on attack, and they really do have some, some very silky skills. But unless some of the core basics of their game get tightened up, it could be could be a rocky Six Nations for them. So yeah, we'll have to we'll have to see how it goes. Um, you know, I think there's lots to work with. Um, there's you know, uh, I don't think there's any concerns in that department. Um, you know, I think uh, they they've got uh, they've got a good team. Um, you know, I think their their front row, uh, their front row does work, it's just not as effectively as it could be. Uh, but I think there's there's the potential there. I'm less concerned about Scotland's front row, say, than, than Wales's front row. Um, and you know, you've got uh, guys in in the hooker position who can address the line out issues. I think their second row uh, is solid, if not flash. Um, and you know, their back row stocks are great. You know, I mean, you got guys like Hamish Watts and Jamie Rutschie. I, you know, I, I even thought Matt Fagerson did quite well at, at number eight. Um, so yeah, no real issues there. Um, but yeah, uh, so nothing to be concerned about there. I thought the fly in, in the halfback partnership, Ali Price, uh, was way ahead of Finn Russell. I just don't think Finn Russell had a particularly positive November, and he really needs to tighten up uh, for November, um, and particularly his goal kicking. Um, but yeah, uh, we'll we'll see how that works out. I mean, you know, the Scottish club sides Edinburgh and Glasgow are looking good in the fly in you know the halfback uh, department in the URC. So we'll see how that goes. I think you know out on the wing, uh, their their back line looks impressive. Um, you know, Duod van der Merver is a fantastic winger. I don't think he's the world's best distributor when, uh, it's, you know, it becomes clearly evident that he's not going to be the guy to, to cross the whitewash. Um, but yeah, they can work on that. Uh, Darcy Graham, I, th- I thought looked impressive. Um, so yeah, um, I thought Rufus McLean out on the wing, uh, he didn't really, he didn't really impress, 
against a big team like South Africa, but again, an exciting player for the Six Nations to work with. I think in the centers, you know, unlike Wales, for example, I think in the centers, Scotland look very, very strong. Sam Johnson, Chris Harris, that's a solid partnership. Um, and, you know, fullback, Stuart Hogg, world-class, uh, absolutely world-class, and he's really rising to the, the challenge of the captains. So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, good for them. Um, and, yeah, I, I don't think there's anything to really uh, – Nothing really, there's no real alarm bells for Scotland, um, you know, and I think home advantage for two, the biggest games of their Six Nations Championship will, will be critical. Um, they've got a ton of talent. They just need to tighten up on the core basics. If they do that, I think uh, Scotland could definitely be one of the, the dark horses slash smoking guns of, of the upcoming Six Nations. I certainly hope so. Anyway, that's kind of it for now. Uh, so that's wrapping up for this week. Like I say, uh, I'm working flat out now till the middle of next week. Uh, but once the middle of next week comes around, I hope to get the last two episodes looking at, uh, England, South Africa and France and Ireland out. And then we're done till the new year and the, the build up towards the six nations. Obviously this weekend, European champions cup, uh, gets underway. Uh, there'll be details on how to watch that over on the TV page. Um, and so, yeah, lots to, lots to look forward to between now and, uh, six nations and obviously URC action resumes once, uh, these next two weekends of European champions cup are over. So yeah, plenty of stuff to keep us busy, uh, until the new year. Till then, take care, everyone. Uh, thanks for listening as always. And, uh, like I say, sorry for the, the gaps in, in output, but, uh, we'll be picking it up in the new year. Take care, all the best. And as always, thanks for listening.